good to see you again for the podcast. I have my coffee. My husband has my baby. Yay. I am child-free for the moment, which is pretty great. <laughs> for exactly one hour. <laughs> for exactly one hour. And then she's going to melt down and it is bedtime. That's okay. Which if we don't finish, because I think this might be a long one, we'll just put in some elevator music and then uh, come back for a part two after a pretend commercial break. I am super excited about that. <laughs> um, maybe one day we'll have real commercials. I, I suppose we could. Hey, you're the one who's getting sponsorship opportunities. I got a sponsorship opportunity. Exactly one sponsorship opportunity. <laughs> and it was pajamas. for pajamas. It was for pajamas. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds like one of the best things to sponsor because it's then that's, you have an excuse to be in your pajamas more. It's just like, I have to. It's brand awareness. Oh, absolutely. And if I'm going to buy my baby pajamas, I have to buy matching pajamas because that's called supporting your child. Of course. And we stand for that in this house. We support our children. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe we can get ghosts of matching pajamas. Oh, we can just match him and Charlotte be like, these are our children. Oh, I think um, that'd be really cute. His walk bandana for the um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the walk we're doing is going to be here Saturday. So Super exciting. I need to sign up for that. Go ahead and get one, too, so Tali and I can run with y'all. Yay. Mm-hmm. I'm walking for a cause. We will talk about that at the very end of the podcast. Woo! Yes, we'll come back to Mental Health Minute uh, at the end. Uh, before we get started, um, we have a couple like shout-outs for um, housekeeping. Uh, you had one. I do. I wanted to thank Erin for the amazing baby blanket that she made Charlotte. I have pictures. Unfortunately, I have not seen her since, uh, I guess, since your wedding, Erica. So I guess I will see her at Zachary's wedding and I'm going to uh, corner her and show her lots of pictures of my baby and lots of pictures of my baby with the blanket she made me because it is gorgeous. I do not have that skill set. I'm always so impressed with people who have that ability to like craft something out of nothing. I mean, not that yarn is nothing, but to someone like me, it's just yarn. You know, so it's, it's so neat. You know, it's Make so a shape cool. out of something shapeless. Right. That, that's a better way to put it. Shape out of something shapeless. I like that. Um, so, yes, wanted to say thank you, Erin. We love you. Charlotte appreciates it. You gifted, talented human. And also, congratulations on your engagement. Ta-ta. Yeah. Because yeah. I haven't seen you since. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shout out to my sister for bothering the fool out of us to make another yes, episode. That's true. Also, <laughs> Maddie's like, give us more episodes. Basically, this is Madison's pumping podcast. So like, you know, she's uh, <laughs> she, she's running thin right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to get this one up soon. Oh, God. Oh, man, that coffee was hot. <laughs> I forget that. And like I go to take like a big jug and it's like this is a terrible idea. Oh, anyway, so yeah, I, could t- I could tell you that coffee is hot, but that's because my name is Erica and I am a scientist. Great lead in. And my name is Katie and I am not a scientist. <laughs> and, and this, this is, is Southern, Southern Science. Science. Kind of out of practice. Not too bad. thought we'll that was it. pretty good. Go us. I yeah, can, that was cool. I can sync it in post. It's okay. Oh, there you go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> computers are great. I'm going to take a very small sip of my coffee while you introduce the episode so I don't burn my tongue off. Okay. Mm. Episode 23, titled Pick Your Poison. I mean, Venom. But not the Spider-Man character. Man, I had a whole slide. Dang it. (laughs) My my first slide. The history of Venom. Venom first appeared in 1984 in The Amazing Spider-Man number 2. It was the 
and had his first appearance as an independent character in 1988. Notable hosts include Spider-Man slash Peter Parker and Eddie Brock, and has progressed from being one of Spider-Man's arch nemesis to being more of an anti-hero. The way that Spider-Man actually first picked up the symbiote is actually... Well, okay, so fine. Not that Venom. Look, dude, that's the only Venom I know. <laughs> so in case y'all were ever wondering, we definitely improv this. Yeah, it, well, yeah. I, I script myself a little, but, you know. And there is no scripting me. I am unscriptable. <laughs> dude, okay, so yeah. But I mean, honestly, that's the only Venom I know. <laughs> I mean, I know there's like venomous snakes, like venomous uh, frogs, you know, nope. things like. You're right on one of those. Which one? Snakes are venomous, frogs are poisonous. So, let's start with the distinction between poisonous and venomous. The most straightforward difference is that if it bites you and you die, it's venomous. If you bite it and you die, it was poisonous. So, the alternative is that poison is ingested and venom is injected. Okay. So, like... if If the animal is toxic somehow... How does it get that toxin into you? Does it bite you? Because that's venom. If you bite it and you suffer the consequences, then it was poisonous. So the frogs are poisonous. So that's like uh, puffer fish. Yes. They're poisonous. Yes. So mostly think of snakes. They're your stereotypical venomous animal. And that's what I'll use kind of as the explanation of how venom works and how anti-venom works, which was one of the main things I wanted to look at. And then we'll go into a few more unique venomous animals that you might not know are venomous. Oh God, I'm going to leave this being scared of everything. I'm already scared of most animals. (laughs) It'll be okay. Well, it depends on where you live. We'll say that. Yeah, not Australia. I don't live in Australia for a reason. Australia does acknowledge their massive quantities of at least venomous snakes. And And spiders. Well, yes. The box jellyfish is over there too, you know. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, most of Australia wants to kill you. That's All of Australia kind of, wants to kill you. That's kind of the rule. Sorry for any Australian listeners. I'm sure your country is very beautiful. I'm sure it is. It just also <laughs> wants to kill you. Yeah. I mean, you're brave people for going outside. Well, you know what? I would, frankly, inside. The animals come in <laughs> after you. I've seen far too many videos of just some giant snake just appear, just wanders through someone's living room. And it's just, it's just not okay. Are the, yeah, no. Or the spider that just decides to take up in the corner. Ooh, like I live here now. Big old like huntsman spiders. And oh, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. oh, they're fine. And you're like, it just ate a bird. So yeah, no. no, it's not fine. <laughs> it's fine until it decides it can take us. Then it's not yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a few notes about Australia's uh, snake venom countermeasures. We'll say, we'll say. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> because, of course, they have a unique approach to it. Anyway, according to the CDC and the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, which is the NIOSH, and I have a few different stats from them, in the United States, uh, seven to 8,000 people are bitten by venomous snakes each year, but only about five people actually pass away from that. That's good. I don't know why I expected that number to be so much higher. In other parts of the world, it definitely is. But the United States is pretty good. We only have a very few types of venomous snakes. And we have, there's a, an existing cocktail of antivenom that covers pretty much all of the venomous snakes that America has. 
And if you can get access to that, you 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 probably be okay. Statistically, you'll be okay because out of the many thousands of people who get injected, there's only five people who die. Interestingly, if you look in Texas, uh, which everyone knows has venomous snakes, especially like rattlesnakes, rattlesnakes, very stereotypical for Texas. Yeah, that's that's less than the number of people who are killed by lightning each year. Wow. Okay. So you, you'd think you'd be a lot more likely to die from a rattlesnake bite. The lightning, but not really. Yeah, no, like, whoa. Yeah, like a lot more likely. Although in defense of rattlesnakes, I do feel like they are a more considerate snake. They do let you know to go away. They do. They do give you a heads up. Yeah, it's a considerate snake. The reason that snake bite is so survivable in the United States is largely due to the availability of medical care. So I'm going to talk about how antivenin works in just a minute. But even if you don't die, actually, from the snake bite... This is quite a wide range on this statistic I found, but it says 10 to 44% of people suffer severe permanent disabilities or injuries, such as paralysis, losing the bitten body part, etc. So it's not like getting bitten by a snake is a walk in the park. You have, you know, almost a half chance that you're going to be, suffer some sort of disability after that. Good Lord. But you probably won't die. (laughs) I mean... Okay. But this is unfortunately not true for a lot of other parts of the world. So in a callback to our last episode, this envenoming, which is the fancy word for getting bit, often occurs due to workplace exposure. But because of where most of the venomous snakes live, as well as the availability of medical intervention, the World Health Organization classifies snake bite as a neglected tropical disease. I, so, no, I was going to say that makes sense because when I think of snake bite, I think of a lot of the movies I've seen, right? Like Anaconda, where you're like out in the middle of the jungle, there's no yeah. help, you have to throw a tourniquet on, you cut your leg off. Like, that's what I think. And a lot of like the quote unquote scarier snakes, I guess, that I know about are like the whole joke is that they're found in like the jungle. Yeah. Rainforest, things like mm-hmm. that. Or I know also like India, there's a problem with like, you know, cobras. Yeah. And just resources, right? Like, oh, yeah. You're na- navigating space with snakes. Yes. Very much so. A good bit of India probably qualifies as tropical just mm-hmm. on a latitude sense. But that it, that is, like you said, it's the availability of the snakes and the availability of the medicine and where the, whether or not your work, your daily life puts you into close proximity to those snakes. So while snake bite only kills five to 10 Americans each year, in tropical developing countries, over 100,000 people die each year, according to a 2019 article in the journal Infectious Disease Clinics of North America by David Worrell. So it's wildly different if you have to interact with these snakes on a daily basis and you don't have access to prompt medical care. And just for fun, uh, remember that some snakes, like cobras that we just mentioned, they don't bite you. They will literally spit venom right into your eyes. Didn't know that, actually. Also bad. Also bad. And then there's also the snakes, um, just because I watched like 72 Dangerous Animals of Latin America. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Netflix. Shout out. Half of them were that, <laughs> that some of them chew on you. Like they, yeah. they don't bite you and like, oh, they just bite you and just continue yeah, to yeah, chew yeah. on you and just insult to injury. They're like, no, I live here now. I feel like that God, was good audio. Awful. Me going, ah, nah, nah. <laughs> that was great audio. I'm here for it. 
Um, no, I mean, so that number is more in line with what I thought. Mm-hmm. Like the 100,000 people a year. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised it's not more in America just because we do have rattlesnakes, but I can definitely see lack of care being a problem now that you say that. Right. At least most places in America, especially if it's a known workplace hazard for your job, you can get a cocktail of antivenom that you can have on hand or that you can inject ahead of time. Uh, I'll get into that in more detail in a second. So first I want to talk, before I talk about how to protect yourself against venom, let's talk about how the venom actually works. What is it doing inside your body? Because everyone's like, well, you get bit and then you die. Yeah. There's, there's a few ways that the dying can happen. None of them fun. Not on my top 10, not things I want to do. So there are actually a lot of dangerous compounds in the venom, which includes metalloproteases, serine proteases, phospholipases, hyaluronidases, and disintegrins. And so that one sounds bad. Right. (laughs) That one just disintegrants just sounds really obvious as like that wouldn't be good at all. Yeah, no, that sounds real bad. But for all the others, as a as a hint to what all of those things do, the suffix ace generally means that it's a protein that's breaking something down. So if you say it's a serine protease, then it breaks down proteins that have the amino acid serine. If you say phospholipase, you mean it breaks down phospholipids, which are the what makes the outside membrane of your cells, you know, things like. So it makes your cells explode. Yeah. Explode, dissolve, you know, depends on how much force you want to imagine that happening with, but I'm yeah. imagining a lot of force. Um, I would also just like to jump in there and say, that's not good. None of it's good. Okay. Yeah. That's bad. Okay, <laughs> oh, bad. Yeah. yeah. That's bad. Okay. So regardless of the type of venom, generally at the injection site, the local effects will be tissue damage, blistering, swelling, localized necrosis things like that turns black yeah yeah you you see that you see that even with spider bites i say even with spider bites like those don't also kill you you know yeah yeah, i mean depending on the spider you're you're in trouble i think there's two species of i think there's like two species of venomous spiders and six species of venomous snakes in the united states and they all live in louisiana yeah they do yeah lucky us actually i have one of the venomous spiders right now like hold up my garage and i moved her because i didn't want her to get murdered so I moved Which, her to a different corner. You said her, so I think Black Widow. Black Widow. She's Black Widow. Nice. I had nice. to hide her from Brett. He'll squish her. Look, I'm scared of a lot of animals. Spiders aren't one of them. I have to walk through that their... garage. Do what? I have to walk through that garage. Different garage. I put her in the other garage. Okay, cool. Put her in my second garage. <laughs> I think that's yeah. I mean, I, I mean, look, I, I have an issue with a lot of bugs. Spiders aren't one of them. Spiders are great. They're well, useful that one, creatures. That um, one will actively kill you. Actually, so my Black Widow story is... Thanks to my dad, I have a distrust of mailboxes that have the, like, kind of the hook handle Uh instead of like a pull tab or something. It's like a hook where you can't see the underside of it. So I'm never, I don't like sticking my fingers up under something that is like outside that you can't see under. And so I always tend to just kind of like grab the top of it and then just try to use the friction of my hands to just, you know, open it real quick. And... My dad always does the same thing, but luckily if he's like getting the mail in the newspaper at the same time, he'll like use the newspaper to kind of swoosh up under there. And one time there was a black widow and it got mad and it started biting at like the newspaper and it like melted the plastic that the newspaper was wrapped in and um, cool. just with pure, pure toxins. Uh, cool, so cool. Now, now I have a new fear. Thanks. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just a good rule to not stick your hands into out places that you can't see what's on the other side. So. Yep. Thanks. New awareness. Never thought about that before. I will never <laughs> again grab a mailbox handle. Yeah. I check my boots. Yes. It, yeah. My family has a habit of keeping mud shoes outside and glo- work gloves. And so you always just like throw those on the ground and stomp on them a few times before you put anything on that's been living outside. Yeah. Sure. We had a copperhead out at Gammy's house one time. That was oh, fun. Nice. Nice. I don't know why it liked the boots, but yeah, it couldn't be there. It had to leave. There's a snake in my boot. Like literally and not the fun kind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got distracted. It was a good story. Now everybody else can also be scared of mailboxes. Yeah, don't, don't, just don't put your fingers where you can't yeah. see. PSA. Yeah, we're, we're helping. We're helping the public. We are. We are helping. We're very helpful because I did like now yeah. I literally am scared and I have a mailbox like that. I'm never going to open it again. Yeah. Where it's officially I mean, on mailbox duty. We've lived here for a year, and one of the first things I told Danny is, like, we're going to have to trade out the mailbox to one that has a different kind of handle, just because. Just letting you know right now, this isn't (laughs) happening. Can't do it. I said that a year ago, though. We haven't changed it out, but still. (laughs) It's on the list. It's on the list. It's on the list. Anyway, so how Venom is bad, what it does. I was going to go through like the two main categories of venom. So we've got hemotoxic venom and neurotoxic venom, and they're named for. I know that. I know that. Okay. One of those. Hemo is blood. Uh huh. And neuro is brain or nerves. Nerves. Yes. Yay. I don't. Can't. I'm assuming the neurotoxin makes you paralyzed. I have no idea what blood toxin does. I'm assuming just stops your heart or something. Well, it kind of has two seemingly opposite effects. Um, so the hemotoxic venom is usually contains the matrix metalloproteases and they can induce blood coagulation, which blocks your blood vessels and causes a stroke or heart attack. Alternately, the venom can bind to your clotting factors so that there aren't any left to actually clot when you need to. And so you can bleed out. In combination with damaging the walls of your blood vessels, that would mean that you internally bleed to death. So they can damage your blood in different ways, um, but either way you die. That's the hemotoxic venom. Love that. Isn't that what Ebola does? I don't know. They always show people's like with blood seeping out of their orifices, but I don't know. Oh my God, that is horrifying. How do you know which blood problem you're going to get? Is it is it based on like the snake? Yeah, different venoms and depending on the specific proteins that are in their venoms will have different effects on whether or not they induce the clotting and clot your blood directly and kind of turn it into a sludge that then will give you a heart attack. Or if it the venom binds the clotting factors and just makes them clump themselves. So when that happens, does that go, so does it just clot like, so the clotting one, like if I got bit in the arm, would it just clot the blood in my arm or does it go everywhere? It goes everywhere. Now, oh, that sucks. you've always seen the stereotypical, if you get bit in the arm, put a tourniquet on it really tight so that all the blood that has the venom in it will stay in your arm. I am not a medical professional. This is not medical advice. I think you can do that, but I think you have to be prepared to lose the limb. Because if you do that, you you have to do it so effectively that you are cutting off all of the circulation and all of the blood flow to that limb. And in general, your blood flow is fast enough that you're not going to be able to catch the venom at the injection site. I do know for sure that it's never recommended to try and suck the poison out, like to cut the wound and then suck the poison out. That's not going to work. It's already in your bloodstream. Yeah. Don't drink it. It's bad. No. 
don't drink blood or poison. What are don't we drink the poison blood. Like don't like that's my that's what I've always heard yeah. about the tourniquet. Oh, like, everyone's do... like you suck it and spit it out is what all the movies do. But don't do that. Don't yeah, don't do that. It's all bad. Also, don't pee on jellyfish stings. That does nothing. Get okay. I have no comment on that because I've totally done that. But like you know, no, it does nothing. And the best thing you can do is try to get the barbs out. And the best way to do that is take something that is firm and straight and flat like a credit card and scrape the site where you've been stung and try to get the barbs out so that they're no longer releasing the toxins into your system don't love that don't love that but okay so yeah but don't don't pee on people i guess as a rule just like as a general rule of life don't (laughs) suck don't suck people's blood and don't pee on people just like general life rules I mean, I'm not coming to Southern science. We're going to wrap it up now. That's what we wanted to share with you guys. I mean, unless you have a consenting partner and that's what you want to do, I suppose I'm not making any hard and fast rules, but in polite society, let's say, don't do those things. Don't do those things. Yeah. (laughs) What you do in the, I guess, behind closed doors is your business, but yeah, don't do those things. Fair enough. The alternative is neurotoxic venom, which blocks neuromuscular transmission either presynaptically or postsynaptically. Can your neuron not talk to your muscles or can your muscles not hear your neurons? Okay. So at the the neuromuscular junction, which is how you move every muscle in your body, including your, you know, organs like your heart and stuff, those need signals from your nerves. And that's how they know when to fire. You have either voluntary or involuntary control over them. That's what syncs everything up is your neurons controlling your muscles. You're making a face like this. It sounds bad. It does. And I actually, this is going to sound really stupid. I forgot the heart was a muscle. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, neurotoxin. You're kind of paralyzed. You'll get over it. No, you won't. No. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. I mean, paralysis is bad, but if it happens to your heart or your lungs, you die. That's real bad. Yeah. It okay. is bad. Okay. So as an example of neuromuscular transmission being blocked by this type of venom, I found a, a nice write-up on death stalker scorpion venom, which if you want to sound intense as I'll get out, death stalker scorpions death sounds stalker about as metal scorpions. as it gets. <laughs> the death stalker scorpion venom is a paralytic that is largely intended for use in crickets. So what it is, is a chlorotoxin that blocks chloride channels on the surface of the muscle cells. And the chloride channels, from what I can tell, increase the resting potential of muscle fibers so that they don't fire too often. So chloride is a negatively charged ion. So if those aren't functional, muscle cells are overexcitable and they can't relax. So you are seized up and paralyzed. Like tetanus? Yeah. Kind of like when you get lockjaw and you can't relax. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. I don't know exactly the biochemical mechanism of tetanus. I've never looked it up, but a similar effect where you can't relax. And a lot of seizures are your neurons and then therefore your muscles firing in a synchronous fashion that they are not meant to fire. And so it is like a tensing and a a contraction of your muscles all at once. Okay. Um, So being paralyzed... I feel like a lot of people see paralysis as almost as if you're like sleeping or dead. You're, you're not using any of your muscles. Your muscles mm-hmm. are relaxed, but a lot of paralysis actually works the other way where all of your muscles are tensed up. And I did not know that. Relaxed. Okay. Yeah. 
So interesting fact about the role of chloride channels and muscle fiber function. Speaking of seizing up and becoming paralyzed, uh, their function was actually discovered through study of myotonic goats, which are fainting goats. Oh my God. I love fainting goats. But you see, I mean, like, imagine when they, when they, they faint, when they get paralyzed, they go really stiff. Yep. It's not like they don't collapse. No, like, no, their, their legs, like their legs, like lock out. Right. So that's kind of an example of what, you know, <laughs> engaging your muscles too much and then becoming paralyzed from that. So yeah, that came from the Arizona State University's Ask a Biologist page on Venom and a 2011 Journal of General Physiology article. So just my sources there. Uh, other fun side effects of envenomation include acute kidney injury, breakdown of your muscle tissue, fever, nausea and vomiting, bleeding from the gums, nose and bowels, eye swelling and paralysis, etc. So moral of the story, don't mess with snakes. Yeah. Leave them alone. In general, I feel like that's a very good policy to have. I'm telling you, we are on it with the PSAs today. <laughs> We're like, don't mess with snakes, you know? Don't yep. do that thing. Don't put your hands where you don't know what's on where they're going. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't pee on people and don't suck no. their blood. Yeah, yeah. In general, all pretty yeah, good. Yeah, we're good. So, okay. So with that being said, with all, so I guess my question is, and you might be getting to this later, so you can like do the whole like stop talking Katie question. <laughs> all of that's very terrifying and scary and all of that. And both of those sound equally bad, the neurotoxins and the blood toxins. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming with science being the way that it is, that we know what snakes have what venom. I'm assuming that. Uh -huh. So like you said, we have six Whereas I know there's like, let's pick, um, heck, let's pick India. I know there's some countries who have hundreds of types of snakes. So my question is, is snake A's neurotoxin, does it work the same way as snake B's neurotoxin? No. I mean, not God, necessarily. that sucks. Oh, that sucks. I was like, it'd be cool if you could just have three antivenoms. Okay. Yeah. Well, and it's because all of these snakes, they, they did evolve to use their venom in different creatures, different prey. And even when humans and other species evolve to have, say, proteins that do the same function, mm -hmm. they're still different proteins. So they still may work different ways. There's small, subtle differences. And so just, just interspecies wise, there's going to be differences. And there's a lot of ways to make an effective venom. You know, it's not like one venomous snake evolved and then all the other snakes evolved. Yeah. Lots of species can decide that venom is a great tool to have. We like this. Yes, yeah. we stand for it. Yeah. The answer to your question of how many venomous snakes in India, according to Google, is uh, 60. Good Lord. They have 300 snake species about and over 60 of which are venomous. Love that. And that doesn't count the mildly venomous ones, apparently. Anyway. These won't kill you. It's fine. Don't be dramatic. These won't kill you. You're fine. Right. It's just, it's just, it sucks. But like. Yeah. It's not a cobra. Calm down. No one cares. Walk it off. It's not the black mamba. <laughs> yep. So if you do get bit, what, what do you do about it? Cry? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll go into a detailed list in a minute, but my, one of the main things I wanted to look up for this episode was how does antivenom work? And you may not hear the difference because of my accent, but I do kind of alternate saying antivenom and antivenin. Mm -hmm. V-E-N-I-N. They're both right. I looked it up because I've heard people say like, no, antivenin's right. Antivenom is just what people who don't know anything call it. 
apparently the Associated Press prefers antivenin and the World Health Organization uses antivenom. Either is fine. Yeah. So don't, it's like, don't be picky. Someone got bit by a snake. You're going to take what you can get. <laughs> no one, you know. It's like, I'm not taking that vial. It says antivenom. It's I like, go die it. then. Go enjoy <laughs> your, go enjoy your venom death. So I will die your on venom. this hill. I will venom. literally, literally die, die on this hill. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So option one is get a venom vaccine, which I kind of alluded to earlier, which is basically administering small amounts of the actual venom to a person to prime your immune system, just like most vaccines. So the things that I described in venom that damage your cells, all of those ACEs that I mentioned, mm-hmm. they're all proteins. And your body can mount an immune reaction to lots of different types of proteins. And so if you give someone the venom in an amount that won't actually kill them, they can develop, build up an immunity to it. But you have to do it beforehand. That, yes. Like most vaccines, you have to do it beforehand. Yeah. Unless you just, I guess if you were a snake handler, like religiously, this is probably the one you do. You just get bit like a little bit and then work up to the really venomous snakes. Right. That's pure speculation on my part, but that's my guess. Terrifying. I don't think that'd be my job of choice, but you know, whatever. (laughs) The problem with that version of it is one, yes, you do have to do it preemptively. And you do have to repeat it fairly often as the effects of the immune system aren't permanent, which is why you have to get boosters to a lot of vaccines. So that's really only the a useful option if you know ahead of time that you're going to have frequent exposure to a specific venomous animal. So if you know that you work in these sugarcane fields and this type of snake lives there, you're really going to have to be aware of it, you know, of these cobras. Let's get, let's build up an immunity specifically yeah. to that. Or if you're a cobra handler. Yeah. If you yeah. own an exotic pet store, you may want to go this route. I don't know. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. But that basically is where your body is making the antivenom. When you just say antivenom, it's made of preformed antibodies against the venom components, which will then bind to and inactivate the venom proteins. So the antivenom you know, is injected into your body generally after the venom is, but it will bind to the venom particles and inactivate them, make them where they don't cause your, um, heart to stop. Well, yes. Cause your heart to stop, cause your, (laughs) your, um, platelets to clot, or they can't, if they're bound to the antivenom, to those antibodies, they can't bind to your chloride channels as mentioned before. They work as an inhibitor that way. So antivenom commercially is usually made by a host animal. So you expose the animal to the venom and then you generate the antibodies or they, the animal generates the antibodies and then the humans collect the antibody containing serum from the animal and then process it and then purify out the antibodies. That's how a lot of proteins have been manufactured for a long time before you could synthesize proteins in a lab. So what you get from the animal, the combination of antibodies that you've extracted from their blood, that's the antivenom. And then you can give that to a person and the antivenom will attach to the venom and, you know, there's a likelihood that your body will probably have an immune reaction to the antivenom, but you've got bigger problems at that point. So, right. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry if there's some itchiness. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you want to die or you want to not have an itchy arm? Your choice. <laughs> so you can get the venom from the animals either by milking the venom. Oh my God. I've seen that in videos. So like <laughs> spiders, snakes, scorpions. Yeah. You just get them to like bite a collection jar basically, or you can do dissection 
which would be like stonefish, some spiders, jellyfish. You can actually extract, like to dissect them and get the venom that way. And then that's what you inject into your host animal. Mm-hmm. The host animals tend to be like large farm animals that can handle a, you know, an immune reaction like that. Uh, so primarily horses, those seem to still be popular as a host in Australia for making antivenom. Sheep are actually becoming more popular for American antivenoms. You can also use rabbits, dogs, and, you know, and it doesn't like kill them. You give a very small amount. Okay. Okay. So a popular commercially produced antivenom is called Crofab, which stands for <laughs> Crofab. Yeah, yes. It sounds, I don't know. I, it sounds made up is what it sounds. Well, it sounds made up. Well, it is. Uh, it stands for Crotalidae polyvalent immune fab ovine. Okay. So that's a hundred percent why they call it Crofab because I would yeah. never remember that. Yeah. So it's a mixture of antibodies from four different flocks of sheep that have all been exposed to the venom of a different species of venomous snake. Crotalidae is the family name of pit vipers. So it's meant to protect against rattlesnakes, copperheads, and cottonmouths slash water moccasins. So all the ones we have that are big, big problems. Well, like I said, Louisiana is lucky. We get all the United States venomous snakes. That's true. Yeah. So those are considered the geographically and clinically relevant U.S. snakes. And I think the FAB stands for fragment antibody. Okay. So polyvalent well, means that it has different antibodies for different targets. And then... Now, that's, that, that's everything but coral snakes. Coral snakes is the only, are the only other problematic snake that we have. Yeah, uh, they're not on in this mix. So I don't know if they're just not as big of a problem. Like, they're just not... I do know that they're not a highly aggressive snake. Oh, maybe that's it. Thank you, TV shows. Yeah. Whereas a cottonmouth will chase you. That's what I was about to say. Cottonmouths will come at you, man. Cottonmouths don't like you. Raise your hand if you've been aggressively charged by a water moccasin. Who has not? If you live in Louisiana and you've ever been out in the country, you have been aggressively charged by a water moccasin. They will chase you. Like, we're all traumatized. Have you ever killed a water moccasin? No, I've been chased by one of my granddaddy killed it. I, I killed one with a shovel. You're so much more metal than me. It was in the backyard and I was worried it was going to bite the dogs. It would have bit you too. Bit you, your parents, everybody. Cottonmouths are, look, I'm all about live and let live, but cottonmouths think they are just permanently in a bad mood. They're like a snake with a mortgage. <laughs> They're just angry all the time. Like rattlesnakes will leave you alone. Coral snakes will leave you alone. Even copperheads will leave you alone. A water moccasin sees you and is like, ah. Like, dude, I am literally on the other side of the yard. No one is coming at you right now. It's coming at you. No one. Yep. Anyway, you can tell that Eric and I have been around water moccasins, um, yep. AKA cottonmouths. And uh, just, you know, uh, they're jerks. <laughs> if you've yep. never met one, it's a real jerk snake. Yep. They have an attitude problem. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason that this Crofab uses antivenom for all of these snake categories is one, because they're the most relevant for the United States. But interestingly, all of the groups, those four different groups, use different active compounds in their venom. So the cottonmouths and the copperhead venom has phospholipases, which means it breaks down the walls of your cells. Eastern diamondback rattlesnake has myotoxins, which affects muscle fibers, and serine proteases. And then the western diamondback has uh, metalloproteases, which was the category that we discussed with the deathstalker scorpion, which was also affects, is also a neurotoxic venom. We don't like it. So to that point, your earlier question about 
do snakes with the same category of venom really work the same way? Now, really, these two different types of rattlesnakes have different proteins causing the problems. That sucks. That information was obviously from crowfab.com, but also the <laughs> ABTG Specialties Pharmaceuticals article from 2021 that basically described how the this antivenom, which again was when I looked online, a lot of the search results were coming up with this particular brand, not like I know anything about them as a company, but they were coming up as a very popular antivenom in the United States. But I emphasize in the United States because if you're in a geographical region with different local snake populations, then something like Crofab isn't going to work because it's only antibodies to those very specific proteins. So according to the University of Melbourne, Australia is the only country that uses snake venom detection kits, which is a two-step rapid immunoassay where you put samples of tissue or blood from the bitten person into little wells that have the different antivenom antibodies in them. And then it includes different reagents that let you know in which of the tubes the venom bound to the antivenom. So if, if the antivenom is binding to the venom, then that means that there was a match protein-wise, and that's the right antivenom that you need to give to the person. Oh so, my God, that's so cool. I guess they just have a plethora of venomous snakes that you can't just say, well, we're just going to give everyone this one antivenom that reacts to everything because that, that might be a bit much for your immune system, I guess. But if you have the time, you can do this rapid assay and it's basically like... I, I didn't ever do this, but a lot of junior high level science classes will do an example of why you can't give someone the wrong blood type because you'll mix the blood types and you'll have antibodies against another type of blood cell and then they'll clump and kind of like coagulate and look yep. weird. It's like that. The assay is kind of like that where it they will like bind to each other in an immune reaction and that's how you know. And then the little reagents will say like, yep. This clumped. So, and that's how you know it. That's clumped. a super cool idea. I guess my question is, is that you always hear how time is of the essence with bites. Mm -hmm. How long do those things take? I, I didn't write it down how actually it was described as a two-step rapid immunoassay. So yeah. I probably have I mean, to Google. I, I, it's got to only be a few minutes. Like the reaction should be fairly instantaneous of like the clumping in the well because you're using a fairly high concentration of the antibody. So I imagine it's fairly instant. Which would make, I mean, like, in, you know, if, if anybody's going to trust that a country knows what's going on. It's going to be Australia. I'm assuming they have their like venomous animal stuff on lock. Yeah, look, look, we do what we can. <laughs> so can I do a quick aside and ask you a question about this? So we mm -hmm. have anti-venom for six species in this country. Four. Four species in this country. Well, at least that's what Crofab is, is those four. Yeah. But I'm sure you can, you can make them to any sort of snake venom you want. So kind of, I guess my question is, is what do you do when you encounter these people who like illegally smuggle in these snakes, like cobras? You know, that's a very popular black market pet and they get bit. Do they just die? You die. Uh, that's kind of what I was asking. Like, I feel like people don't take that into consideration. I didn't think about that until you started talking about it. Yeah, a lot, like, of places, yeah. a lot of places don't stock that um that any cobra venom because we don't have cobras right you, you're not gonna do anything like that okay you can when i was at uah there was a woman who's in my lab and she was doing something with snake venom and seeing if it would affect cancer cells mm -hmm. so you can buy lots of different snake venoms so if 
a lab, a hospital, something like that, wanted to have that on hand, like they know that that shady pet store dealer keeps bringing in cobras, then yeah, they'll stock some. Like the third guy comes in with cobra bite, you probably start keeping some on hand. Right. But it's not going to be <laughs> that thing that you give to your park rangers. Yeah. You know? well, no one's going to have it on hand. <laughs> I know you can get licensed to mm. like handle exotic snakes. But I'm assuming when you get licensed to handle those exotic snakes, you have to file paperwork. So hospitals do keep anti-venom. Maybe you have to keep it yourself. I don't know. Ah, dude, who knows? I don't know. I know you can't tell the King Cobra he can't bite you because you don't have anti-venom. No, that's not a conversation he wants to be a, a part no, of. No, he doesn't care. Okay, but no, that, man, that's really scary because that was kind of my question. I was like, what do these people do who illegally get snakes if all the anti-venoms have to be different? Yeah. You should uh, just die. You should consider that before illegally getting a dangerous pet. Another PSA, do not get a do not get a venomous animal and smuggle it into the country. We cannot save you when it inevitably bites you. You can't save everyone from their own stupidity. You I'm cannot fear. Darwin Award. Oh my I'm god. Fear your okay. husband knows that all too well. Oh Lord. Yeah. Oh. On a daily basis, he tries to save people from their own stupidity. I don't think he's had a cobra bite though. That I mean that's uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Shreveport, Shreveport has its issues, but God help us. We don't have any Cobra bites yet. Knock on wood. I'm going to knock on wood right now. You're going to ask him when we're done and he's going to be like, yeah, I've had four this week. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's so terrifying. Okay. All right. So coming back, I'm sorry. That was just a random thought I had. I was like, oh my God, what do people do? Actually, that leads pretty well into one of my next points, which was how people use venom as medicine. When I was talking about a lady that, in my lab that was researching using venom, venom as agent chlorotoxin venoms which was the category of venom that i mentioned with the scorpion uh has been used to block signaling in cancer cells and prevent cancer growth snake venom has also been the model for medicines that treat high blood pressure heart failure and heart attacks because of the way it can affect your blood komodo dragon venom is a very strong anticoagulant and has been used to treat strokes heart attacks and pulmonary embolisms komodo dragons are poisonous are venomous, excuse me, they're venomous? They're venomous, yes. I did not know that. I really didn't either because everything I've heard about Komodo dragons is that just their mouths are so horrifyingly disgusting. That's what I heard. full of anaerobic bacteria that will make your leg necrose right off your body. So I actually didn't know that either. So it turns out that we've just been bad-mouthing them forever. They're really just venomous. I think they also have bad mouths. So I think they're all true. <laughs> they're both. <laughs> I think it's both. It's both. We're going to go with both. Okay. So, but you can use that in medicine. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And in all fairness to the snakes, depending on the species, between 10 and 80% of venomous snake bites, as in bites from venomous snakes, are actually dry bites where they bite you but don't inject you with any venom. So that's actually a two-step process. They can bite you without injecting venom. So... That's, I assume, is more of a warning bite or a defensive bite. You know, if the venom is mostly meant for prey and they want to bite, like, a human who's coming at them and is obviously not prey, then it is an option to not have... To not be a complete jerk. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like if I was bit, I wouldn't be like, odds are that was a dry bite. I'm fine. You know? I I feel like I would just... On a cautionary level, go get All some... Right. <laughs> yeah, like, so, P.S., our fifth P.S., we on like number seven, seventh P.S.A., if you are bitten by a snake, 
please do not treat it as a dry bite. Please take yourself to the nearest hospital and get it taken care of accordingly. Just in case. Get it checked out. Especially if you're in Louisiana, because chances are it's a cotton mouth. And I can almost, I want to see the statistics on how many cotton mouths dry bite, because I don't think they're ever friendly. I didn't didn't look them up specifically, but yeah, they're just just food. They will open up your door, go bite you in your bed, and then go back to their house. They're jerks. No (laughs) one likes a cotton mouth. It's like when you find a bat in your house, and you're like, he probably didn't bite me. But if I get rabies, I'm going to die. So just in case. Just in case. Let's not do the thing. Which, by the way, I won't tell the whole saga here, but one of my lab mates recently had to go get rabies vaccine shot things. I say vaccine shot things because it is a vaccine, but rabies is such a slow moving virus that you actually get the vaccine after you've been bit. But anyway, there's not a lot of places that actually carry the rabies vaccine. He was Really? Yeah, he was... He got, he found a bat in his house, like shortly before we had to travel to Houston and we were, he was having a heck of a time trying to find, um, hospitals around here and in Houston that would actually carry the rabies vaccine because it's like a three to five series of injections and they're just, they're no fun. I don't know. They're terrible, but I'm just going to say as backwoods as our state is, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of bats. I was, and not just bats, just people doing dumb things around animals. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Louisiana would lead the charge on people who have been bitten by random animals. Like, our, like, state animal, I don't care what anybody says, is the freaking Nutria rat. <laughs> Which you can eat, by the way. I just want to point that out. You can eat that. It's actually not terrible. I've had some. Yeah, but, like. But to be fair, we also have a lot of possums. Possums can't get rabies. Oh, no, they can't. And possums are actually really cute, too. They're actually super useful. Yes. Possum we are very we are pro possum on this podcast. Super pro possum on this podcast. Um highly recommend getting one. You will never have to deal with like cockroaches and stuff in your backyard. And if you are a Louisiana resident, then you know cockroach season is nothing to mess with and they will swarm you. Yeah. The big ones too, the big old flying ones. Like not like the little yeah. tiny German ones that like are attracted to food, like the big old fat ones that like water. They just yeah. let themselves right into your house. Everything. Yeah. Just let themselves right in. They're like the water moccasins of the bug world. No <laughs> respect for boundaries. Man, I'm sitting here trash talking Australia. Louisiana's not too far. I know. Off. We really have no place to talk. Zero place. Anyway, so on the, like I said, definitely get it checked out. Along those lines, uh, I you're, you're going to have to go tend to your child soon. So I'll wrap up this first portion with... The first aid for snake bite guidelines per the CDC and the NIOSH, which was the Occupational Safety and Health um, Institute. So nice. guidelines. It says workers should take these steps if a snake bites them. Cry. These, were, these were addressed to workers because, again, this is a largely an occupational exposure. Um, anyway, one, seek medical attention as soon as possible. Antivenom is the treatment for serious snake envenomation. The sooner antivenom can be started, the sooner irreversible damage from venom can be stopped. Driving oneself to the hospital is not advised because people with snake bites can become dizzy or pass out. Two, take a photograph of the snake from a safe distance if possible. Identifying the snake can help with treatment of the snake bite. What? You know what? Keep keep going with your list. I just, that that is... It would help to know. I'm what sure, and you know what? As a person, I it can't might not talk. even be a venomous snake. 
As a person who live vlogs everything, let's not even pretend like I wouldn't try to make a TikTok while dying of a snake bite. Let's not even well, pretend I would do that. Definitely. Well, we'll get to it. There's the do's and the don'ts. We're on do's right now. Anyway, uh, three, keep calm. That one goes out the window. But on it. <laughs> right on it. Four, inform your supervisor. Again, they're assuming sure. that most snake bites are workplace exposure, but also, I don't know, man, just go to the hospital. I think if you just start screaming hysterically, someone will tell for you. Yeah. Someone's, someone's going to go tell the supervisor. Anyway. You're fine. You're fine. Two, three, four, five, five. Apply first aid while waiting for the EMS staff to get you to the hospital. So lay down or sit down with the bike in a neutral position of comfort. Remove rings and watches before the swelling starts. That's very important. And also the reason that Danny and I wear silicone rings at work. Yep. Wash the bite with soap and water because snake mouths are also nasty. You don't want to have to deal with just normal infections on top of poison. Love Cover that. the bite with a clean, dry dressing. Uh, Catalina or ranch will suffice. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Catalina or ranch. I was going to go with Italian, but I'll go with a know. thicker one. Mark the leading edge of tenderness or swelling on the skin and write the time alongside it. I liked that. Just take a little marker. And right, you know, when the swelling spreads along your arm or whatever, just mark where it's swollen and say what time so you know how fast the swelling is spreading. I just love that they're writing this for people like you and not for people like me. Look, hysterics are helping no one. They said keep calm. I get that. I That, that would be out the window. Like, I appreciate this list. It would not apply to me. But, you know, that's <laughs> fine. I appreciate the list. The The other half of the list is the don'ts. So oh, I want to hear the don'ts because it's going to be do, all things Katie does. Do not do any of the following. One, do not pick up the snake or try to trap it. Never handle a venomous snake, yeah. not even a dead one or its decapitated head. In case anyone doesn't know, its decapitated head can still chomp you. Yeah, and it's not like, I don't think this is like double jeopardy. After the snake's bitten you, don't pick it up. It's not like it can't do more damage. It can fully bite you again. You can get double bit and you will get double venom, I'm assuming. <laughs> 100%. Oh, good God. That's hilarious. Okay. Okay. So don't don't pick up the snake. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Two, do not wait for symptoms to appear. If bitten, get medical help right away. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go. I'm sure it was a dry bite. It don't was totally do that. fine. Don't do that. Do not apply a tourniquet. So like we said before, it's already in your bloodstream. You're going to do more harm than good. Yeah, unless you just want to lose your entire arm. Yeah. Do not slash the wound with a knife or cut it in any way. A lot of people do that to also to let the venom out. That's right. Yeah, no, I knew that didn't work. Okay. With also, like, because it's swelling, people think that that helps. It doesn't help. You're just stabbing someone and they're already bitten <laughs> You're arm. You're literally just cutting your arm open. <laughs> Don't do that thing. Try. Do not try to suck out the venom. As we've said before, this does nothing. Thank you, country western movies. <laughs> Do not apply ice or immerse the wound in water. Oh, that's surprising. I, I'm i not sure why. Like, I assume it caused, the ice would cause extra tissue damage, but I don't know the mechanism of that. I would be interested in learning about that. I might try to Google that before our next podcast. Sure. So I can actually contribute for once, because I am oh. interested in that. Like, why? Yeah, okay, because that would be my first thought, actually, would be to try to get the swelling down. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
do not drink alcohol as a painkiller. No, again, don't do that. Again, thank you, country and western movies. Thank you, country western movies. But yeah, no, that thins your blood. It yeah, don't do that. It's going to make the venom travel faster. Yeah, don't do that thing. Do not take pain relievers such as aspirin, ibuprofen, or naproxen. The thinking here is that the venom messes with your blood's ability to clot and coagulate, mm-hmm. and the painkillers could increase your risk of bleeding out. Right, yeah. I, I did see some case reports saying that taking some NSAIDs was fine, uh, but I don't know if that I would risk it. Yeah, I'm all for just waiting till we get to the hospital, which hopefully will be fairly quickly after you've been bitten by a snake. I'm, I'm hoping the urgency is there. Yeah, yeah. For most people, um, some people obviously did something to warrant the final item on this list, which is do not apply electric shock or folk therapies. So obviously some people were getting creative and it has been advised against. Okay. Let's just hook up those jumper cables right to my snake bit arm. (laughs) Jump it off. Do it, Bubba. Jump it. Give me a jump, Bubba. Taze it. I don't know. What are you supposed okay. to do? Can you tase your snake bite? So before, I know we're about to hit elevator music, but so before we meet up for the next time, mm-hmm. I have two mm-hmm. things I'm looking up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking up electroshock with snake bites, and I'm looking up why we can't apply ice. One of those is reasonable. The other one, I just have to know that story. So I'm going to roll up with two gonna stories Google it, And it's just going to come up with a big don't across. I know. <laughs> I'm going to figure out what Florida man decided to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. So as the teaser for the second half, as we kind of said when we started this, everyone knows that some snakes are venomous. But there are other venomous animals that you might not think of. And that's what will be the second half of the episode. Heck yeah. Let's do it. I love that, and that is forever how I want our two-part episodes to, like, roll. <laughs> oh, no. No, just keep it going. Just every couple seconds, we'll just have it <laughs> no, happen. <stop. laughs> I like it. Let's just keep it going. Just roll. Oh, there stop. There we go. Why yes. are you doing it? Stop. Stop. Do not, oh, no. I don't need that many dream sequences. <laughs> I got nothing. Wait. Stop. Please stop. Okay. <laughs> No, leave them all in there. No, oh, so again. <laughs> well, this is a work in progress. Screw this. Anyway, we're back. We're back. Okay. Anyway, so where we left off was we talked about how venom works and some venomous animals, and we figured, okay, well, everyone knows snakes are venomous, spiders scorpions jellyfish things like that some ants so what are some other animals that you know of that are venomous i got one okay the platypus and i know that because i feel everyone knows that because everyone knows platypi is it platypi platypuses so so fun fact (laughs) i actually wrote this down so you know how we had the discussion about octopuses versus octopi yeah it's kind of the same thing that pus for or foot. Stop it. Sorry, Ghost is being a card. He, he's he mad just, I he... won't give him any french fries. That's, I mean, you're kind of the worst mom ever. These are my french fries. Back no, off. Worst, worst mom ever. 
Anyway, so technically, you know, we talked about how the plural of octopus is technically octopodes because it's Greek and not Latin. So you shouldn't do the octopi because that's a Latin pluralization. So technically, platypus, it's not platypuses or platypi, even though technically Oxford Dictionary says that platypuses is okay. (laughs) It's built from Greek words. So the platy and Puss means flat, broad foot. So technically the plural would be platypodes. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Hey, I like it. <laughs> I'm doing platypodes. We're going to go with platypi. I don't care that it's not the right one. The pl- the like pl- I said, pl- platypodes. Okay, so I know platypodes are, are venomous. Yay. Because why not? Because apparently their their names are weird. They They're... Ducks with fur. I mean, you know, it's just a weird animal in Australia. As are many. Do you know how they are venomous? It's their feet, right? Yes, they have spurs. Like they kick you. Males have spurs on their hind feet or behind, like on their ankles by their hind feet. I think they produce more venom during the mating season. So it's mostly a male competition based venom that so it's used on each other rather than for hunting or defense or anything like that why not well the good thing is is that actually platypus venom won't kill you it'll just hurt wildly and painkillers will not do a thing for it okay Uh, is it one of those like neurotoxins i didn't actually look up what category it is but i assume it's neurotoxin based but it's probably because again it's not meant to kill prey or stop predators it's proposed to cause pain in other male platypodes you know i mean okay look i completely get that and i have just when you said that i had this like thought that like sorry erica like I kind of assume that Tylenol is not going to do much with a pit viper bite either. I can, <laughs> when you've been bitten by something venomous, the first course of action should probably not to be to take Tylenol. Well, it's you, seek medical it could hurt. It usually couldn't hurt, right? But actually yeah. it can. We discussed in the last episode why you shouldn't take painkillers yes. with certain sna- with snake bites because it could mess with your blood thinners. Uh, exactly. Very yeah, don't good. do that. Don't do that. See, I listen. I learn. I'm learning <laughs> some science things. Yeah, but honestly, besides that, that's the only because since last I don't even want to say like last episode, last week, what we what I learned, the difference between poisonous and venomous, whereas I would have told you like poison dart frogs, things like that, but they're poisonous, not venomous. So yes. I actually don't know any venomous animals that aren't a snake or spider or a platypus. I refuse so, to call them that other word. That's okay. Would you believe sharks? No. And I'm going to tell you why, because that's just the God mode cheat code that sharks don't need. <laughs> they just don't need it. You know what? Jaws is scary enough without venom. He yep. doesn't need it. <laughs> they have teeth that grow back. Like, no. Yep. You don't need to be be venomous teeth. <laughs> no, you don't need venom, shark. You don't need it. No, I did not know sharks were venomous. So to be fair, it's not in their bite that they are venomous. They have venomous spines, kind of like the platypus does. Why do sharks have spines? To not get eaten by other shark, bigger sharks. Who's gonna- okay. <laughs> I was like, who's going to eat a shark? More sharks. No. Okay. That meant fine. Okay. So what sharks are venomous? Not gray whites. No, no, no. Thank God. 
Again, they don't need more help. (laughs) No, they don't. They're great on their own. So for this section, what I actually wanted to talk about was the dogfish, which are sharks in the order of squaliforms. So the reason I first learned about venomous sharks at all is that they were found in the Thames River, which was declared biologically dead in 1957, but there have been a lot of efforts to bring wildlife back to the river. One of those new inhabitants is the spiny dogfish, which are also called spur dogs, which is kind of Love a fun that. name. It sounds like a like a slur that you use on a pirate, like ah, a bunch of spur dogs, you know. Or also like a sports team name, like something that makes oh, no sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, spur dogs. That is good. Yeah. Yeah. Gamecocks, spur dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it probably isn't like a mainstream football uh, team, probably more like a rugby team. I could yeah, see like being the- spur dogs. Or the XFL, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Minor, or minor league baseball. They have there a bunch of weird names. Yeah, just anyway. random stuff. <laughs> so they're not in the Thames on purpose. That They actually moved in because of warming water in their natural coastal habitats. During part of the year, they live in deep, cold water. And then for mating and stuff, they move to shallower, warmer water. And that has actually gotten a little too warm for them. So they've moved inland into the river. Love that. So spur dogs have been heavily overfished and is currently has a, quote, vulnerable status on the extinction scale and is considered a priority species on the UK's biodiversity framework, according to wildlifetrust.org. Now, I did also see that one site say that spiny dogfish are the most common sharks. In one place, it said the most populous fish, but that seems unlikely in the whole world. But they could still be vulnerable, I guess, if it was kind of barely keeping that status uh, against overfishing. But if you Google most common shark, a lot of other sharks come up. So I don't know what the actual like facts are on that point. A lot of people seem to be weighing in on different kinds of sharks. But maybe that discrepancy might be because dogfish aren't exactly what you think of when you think shark. You think, you know, great white or white or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just just wanted to throw that out there that like even though they're considered vulnerable, they're officially listed as a vulnerable species and a priority species, even though they're like their habitats are kind of disappearing and they're being overfished. But there might still be plenty of them. It's kind of controversial. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so the reason they're not quite what you think of when you think of sharks is that spur dogs, they're about four to five feet long, but they're only like 20 pounds. They're like really long and skinny. Okay, I'm so Googling one. Keep talking. Yeah. They eat fish and smaller sharks, crustaceans, jellyfish, squid, just kind of whatever they can get their teeth on. Part of the problem with their dwindling population is the fact that they only have one pup every two years. So they have one of the longest pregnancy periods of any vertebrate. It's like 18 to 22 months. Oh, that poor shark. (laughs) It's pregnant forever. Oh my God, that poor shark. That's terrible. Okay, no, they look like sharks though. Yeah, they're just... They're smaller they're, and skinnier than, you know. They're they're very skinny sharks, but they, they have a shark look. Yes. That's I, true. If I saw this swimming towards me in the ocean, I would give it the beach. I would go back <laughs> to tanning. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So the reason that they are called dogfish is that they tend to hunt and migrate in groups. So because of the pack hunting style is what originally got them the name dogfish Here. is what I read. And I saw in a YouTube video that they can be the fish in uh, fish and chips. So they're commercially hunted. They're also often a, like an accidental catch or a by, by 
catch some just like an accidental byproduct of the fishing industry. Right. Which isn't great anyways. Well, yeah. But the fact that they don't replenish their numbers very quickly and the fact that they do tend to get caught, especially now that they're moving into more commercially fished waters, is bad for them. I never thought I'd say this, but I swear, like, for a shark, it's pretty cute. Yeah, they're not bad. They're not the they're not super scary looking. Like they don't no, have not. nine thousand teeth. That's hyperbole. But you know, no, it's not a megalodon. <laughs> no, but anyway, okay. spur dogs have venomous spines in front of their front and back dorsal fins, which are like those stereotypical shark fins on their back. Mm-hmm. So they have two. They have a front one and a back one. And in front of both of those fins, they have a venomous spine. And it can actually defend itself from predators like bigger sharks, seals, orcas, things like that, by arching its body and, what, from what I can gather, just smashing the spines into the predators. And humans can also be envenomated if they are improperly handing the, handling the sharks, like in a fishing context. But from the videos I saw, they seem okay being around divers and don't seem particularly aggressive. There's lots of YouTube videos of divers just hanging out around dogfish. They're not like super aggressive. Yeah, I just want to put like a PSA since this is the theme of this episode. Um, just in general, don't handle shark. In general, you know- don't, don't do it. Unless you're a professional. It should be no. a, like... Unless, yep. It should be a thing done by trained professionals. I feel like that should be a theme of this episode. Have you ever seen the videos where it's, like, people can get a shark to, like, balance in the palm of their hand? No, Erica, because I've never wanted to do that. It's like scuba divers. No. And you make friends with a shark. No. And you can actually get them to go into a little bit of a... Shoot, I already forgot the word, but it's, like... A hypnosis state basically and you, they can kind of just like float and you can balance their nose on your hand and just kind of like I have a whole shark anyway no, that's I, mean, the I haven't it's the same thing it's like I've never looked into like swimming with sharks and things like that from a therapist perspective I just have so many questions for people who want to do things like that I'm like come sit in my chair let's talk about it let's unpack that why do you want to interact with sharks scuba diving is great but I've only encountered a nurse shark while scuba diving and they're not aggressive either. So yeah, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) I'm totally good. All right. So we've got sharks. Apparently sharks get to break the cheat code and go God mode and get to be venomous. venomous I love that. Before moving on from sharks, I did also want to mention lantern sharks, which are also venomous. I've seen one of, let me look that up. I've seen one of those before. Okay, and they're little, right? Yes. So they they are also venomous, but they are handheld size, and they also yes. glow in the dark. So yes, I did know that. I've seen those cool. before. Yeah, those are cool. They live in the waters just east of New Zealand, and at least three species of lantern sharks have bioluminescent bellies. Now, pop quiz: Why would a shark have a bioluminescent belly? Oh, uh, okay. So bioluminescent belly. Um. I should know this. It's been a while since we did that podcast, Erica. So that if you saw them from below, they would blend in with the light above them. Oh my gosh! Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a uh, it's a defense mechanism, and that's yes, what it's a camouflage. Trying to eat them. Yes, it's a camouflage. I did know that. That's yep. mo- yeah. If something's trying to nail them from below, it blends in with like the light coming up. For- yes. Okay. Very cool. Got that? Because yep. he's tiny. Yep. Yes, he's a little bitty. He will be eaten. And they're real cute. 
And just to cause some confusion, some sharks are also toxic, <laughs> like poisonous. <laughs> to Do eat. people eat sharks? Yes. I mean, and even more so than just the stereotypical shark fin soup that gets uh, so maligned. You've heard of shark fin soup, right? I have not. I mean, it's basically like you hunt sharks, you cut off their dorsal fin, and then you toss them back in the water. But the problem is, is they can't survive without those. They need them to swim and hunt. And also you just cut off a big part of their bodies. So now they're injured and it doesn't help. So it's, um, but yeah, it's uh, a, a unpopular fishing practice. What the heck? No, I've never heard of that. I'm never going to eat it now. That's terrible. Yes, I agree. Anyway, uh, so the most toxic shark, like I said, just to cause problems, I'm going to mention a toxic shark, but the most most toxic one is apparently the Greenland shark, which is famous for living forever. It's it's very long lived. They live for hundreds of years. Um, Like the alpha of the shark world. Yes. Cool. Mysterious lives in the, the deep cold waters. Their body holds a lot of urea for tissue hydration purposes, and that amount of urea is makes them toxic so it's a pea shark yes it's a urine (laughs) shark throughout its whole all of its tissues it just creates a higher solute concentration so that the cells can hold more water so as long as the urea isn't toxic to its own cells then that's a good way to keep water in its in its cells when it swims in such cold salty water it's literally a pea shark love that urine shark (laughs) the urine shark Anyway, just uh, real quick for the section on sharks, I want to throw out some of my sources, which are wildlifetrust.org, a to zanimals.com, oceania.org, animalscosmos.com, and the BBC. So, fun stuff. Can always count on the BBC. Yeah. I mean, they have good articles. Yeah, they do. I was going to talk about cone snails, but feel like this is already going to be a really long episode. So, let's move on to some venomous mammals. You know any venomous mammals? Uh, Is the platypus a mammal? Actually, yes. Because that's, that's the only one I've got, girl. That's the only one I've got. And also, just quick side note. If we ever do like an episode on a random animal, I love cone snails. I'm all about doing the cone snail. Oh, wow. Okay. Love cone snails. Well, cool. I will yeah. try to work it into it because I, I skipped it for time. So I find a way to work it into a future episode. Yeah, love cone snails. All right, so continue. So no, I did not know there were venomous um mammals other than the yes. platypus like besides the platypus so apparently there's only six species of venomous I didn't mammals know there was one well you knew there was one but more than uh, one. but i didn't know if it was a i actually didn't know if it was a mammal that's fair yeah platypodes count as mammals but they're weird animals so three of these species are shrews or shrew-like rodents so that's what we're going to talk about for this section One is the platypus. One is a vampire bat. But technically, some people argue about whether or not vampire bats count because they're not venomous in a this will kill you way. They're venomous because their saliva technically counts as a hemolytic toxic, like hemolytic venom, like we talked about, where it'll mess up with your body's ability to clot. Because when vampire bites bite you, their saliva contains compounds that prevent the wound from clotting so that it'll just bleed, bleed slowly and they can just lap up the blood but does that really count as venom the internet remains divided but anyway let's start with the american sh- oh yeah and then there's one more 
special one that I'm going to, that's going to be the last thing we talk about. Okay. For the venomous mammal section, let's start with the American short-tailed shrew. So unlike snakes, which snakes have hollow teeth for injecting venom, shrew's teeth actually have a groove along the side of their teeth that channels the venom into a bite wound. Cool. There's a shrew-like mammal that I mentioned kind of in it when I was just listing things. There's a Caribbean rodent called the Selenodon, which definitely sounds like a dinosaur. Yeah. But it 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 does have the same venom injecting teeth like snakes do, but most shrews, real true shrews, they just have that groove along the side of their tooth that just lets poison drain into a wound. Love that. So shrews, they don't bite to kill, but they are biting their prey. And the weird thing about it is that since the shrews are mostly hunting and eating like earthworms and insects, the venom doesn't have to be able to kill the prey. A shrew is going to win a fight with an earthworm. That's not the problem here. Fair. Instead, the venom paralyzes the prey so that the shrew doesn't have to kill it. It can take its home to its burrow and store it alive and immobilized until it's ready to eat it fresh. Oh, that's not terrifying at all. It's a true horror movie. Oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah, it's rough. It sounds truly horrifying. Rough out there being an earthworm. Yeah. It, it reminded me of when we talked about wasps that would mind control cockroaches and then lead them to a burrow where they can then be implanted with an egg and then we just yeah. have to hang around until the egg hatches and the cockroach is eaten alive man look so, look the the animal kingdom animal king is pretty savage dude like it's rough it's out pretty there. hardcore what yep totally here for this life that is terrifying i am not even about that so we have like <laughs> mind control wasp and now we have wendigo shrews Love yep. it. so apparently shrews have to eat their body weight in food every day and that becomes pretty difficult during the winter so in order to not starve they will envenomate the, a bunch of prey animals and then just store them in their burrow where they just have to sit around and be horrified and then just slowly get eaten as the winter progresses so that's fun don't like that that was some fun facts from the Natural History Museum of the United Kingdom and a little bit from Smithsonian Magazine. They had good articles on venomous shrews. On evil shrews, got you. Yep. Okay. So we have shrews and platypi. Yes. I, I, I'm dying on that hill. I'm calling them platypi. That's okay. That's okay. It's my hill. Lastly, I would like to discuss the only venomous primate, the slow loris. Oh my gosh, I did know that. I knew the slow because they're so cute, but people are like, don't touch them. For real, don't touch them. Because like there are aren't there armpits like poisonous or something? Yes, very it's good. So weird. It <laughs> is random. It is incredibly random. I was gonna say, if you didn't, if you don't already know what a slow loris looks like, you should definitely look them up. Their eyeballs so are half cute. your face. Like they're so pretty cute. cute. And they raise their hands. Yes. Okay. So yes. So this one's wild. Anyway, slow lorises have venom secreting glands in their armpits. They raise their arms over their head, which there's lots of YouTube videos of that happening because it's cute, but it actually means that the animal feels really scared and upset. Yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. There's speculation because of the way that the slow lorises put their arms up and then they just kind of like wave them around that this is actually meant to mimic a cobra. Because, like, of the way they sway with it, people think it's meant to 
mimic cobra movements. So I don't want to hate on a slow loris, but that they don't mimic a cobra. <laughs> they don't. They they're adorable. Yeah. Seeing as what they use the venom for, I also don't think they're fooling anyone. That was just some speculation I read online. Yeah. But I read that before like reading what the venom is mostly used for and I was like, "No, you're not fooling anyone." Yeah. So what they do is they lick the oil that's secreted from that gland under their armpit. And then when the oil mixes with their saliva, that's when it forms the venom. So technically, like, if you licked their armpit, you'd probably be okay, I think is what I'm understanding. Because it's not directly, like, it's not the the venom, like, the gland doesn't secrete venom straight. It secretes a component of the venom. I don't know, man. If you're licking a slow loris's armpit, I wouldn't say you're okay. I mean, that's fair. Like, you have other (laughs) things to evaluate about your life. 100%. But as far as dying on the spot from venom, that you might be okay with. That won't happen. You have other problems, though, for sure, for sure. Right, yeah, like definitely need need some therapy, but but you're not going to die. Okay, so that seems like a very odd way to venomize something, envenom something. Yes, it's definitely unique from what I could observe. But I, what I found online. So actually, so similar to the shrews, the venom catches in the groove of their, their canine teeth, which are also called a tooth comb because of how grooved it is. Comb. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And apparently their comey teeth are sharp enough to slice into bone, according to the New York Times. So not great. Yeah. So slow lorises are omnivorous, but they mostly just eat tree gum, sap, nectar, maybe some insects. So they're not like big hunters. They're not using this venom for any hunting purposes. So for a while, scientists thought that they would use the venom to defend themselves from predators or maybe parasites. Unfortunately, there was an extensive observational study by Nicaris et al. that was published in the journal Current Biology in 2020. And they determined that the slow lorises mostly use this venom on each other which is technically called intraspecific competition. Okay. So slow loris venom causes tissue necrosis, uh, leading to severe wounds and or lost body parts. Okay. Slow lorises also apparently smell super bad. Like it was described as, quote, disgusting and nauseating. Which is why people shouldn't keep them as pets. I know they're huge on the pet trade. Yeah, there are many, many reasons you should not have these as pets. Yeah. So part of which is the fact that slow lorises are extremely territorial. So that research team that I mentioned, they spent their 7,000 hours with the slow lorises. They found that a third of all females and over half of all of the males have bite wounds that, w- that at some point would have the bite wounds and most of which would have truly like, disfiguring wounds that just stayed like like they never healed because of the venom love that it was mostly younger lorises that were injured and what they determined was that males were focused on defending their mates and females were focused on defending children and food (laughs) so if you if you're interested they have their paper which is called slow lorises use venom as a weapon in interspecific competition and there's a graph of the breakdown of total, quote, aggressive interactions that kind of describes all the ways they're messing with each other, basically. 
Which is wild because they are the cutest freaking animals. It is, and that's a problem. And you shouldn't keep them as pets, but yes. <laughs> Very much so. And these bites are actually the primary cause of death in captivity. Maybe because at that point they don't have the option to not share their territory. And yeah. so they will continually attack one another. Interestingly, if the slow lorises want to protect themselves from getting bitten, they basically like hug themselves and they spread their venom all over their fur and kind of can harm predators that way. But like most poisons, then it only works after the initial bite. So it's really not the best game plan. So I think I think technically that makes them poisonous, not venomous, because at that point. Right. So I think they're both. Whoa, look at that. <laughs> and because slow lorises mostly use this venom against each other, humans rarely get bitten, but it can cause severe pain and potentially death if they do. Uh, you can also have an allergic reaction to the venom and die from that. So all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't have them as pets. It's bad for you. It's bad for the loris. So all bad. And then you have to tell everyone that you died via like the cutest little mammal on the planet. I know. And, like, everyone's going to make fun of you in the afterlife. Yeah. You get to heaven. You have to tell people that they're going to be like, that's what killed you. Yeah. I think so cute. You lose all street cred. Yep. All street cred. I wanted to wrap up with some fun facts about slow lorises other than Do it. The, the completely wild things that I've already said about them. Thanks to Allison Gustafson, who wrote a great website about slow lorises. Apparently, she did it as an assignment when she was a student at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse, but it was really informative and had a lot of fun facts on it. So I wanted to just say, like, it's a really good resource. Heck yeah. The slow loris has the most spinal vertebrae and the longest tongue of any primate. They're long and wiggly. Cute little guys. Their, quote, home range can be about two square miles and contain up to 60 different sleeping sites for each loris. And they can travel five miles in a night. So this is why you should not keep them as a pet in your home. And a little cage. It's not going to work. Yeah. Especially if you have more than one, because again, wildly territorial. Wow. That's the amount of, that's the amount of territory they want to have for themselves. (laughs) They do use their venom and also urine to mark their territories. So I guess as a scent clue, because like I said, they apparently smell horrendous. Horrible. Yeah. And they also have the largest eyes. And I don't know if this is largest absolutely or largest relatively i assume it's largest relative to head slash body size i'm sure Um, but they also have the most forward facing eyes of any primate and they have excellent dark vision i did know that i knew the dark vision they're so cute oh interesting probably because their eyes are like i said almost half of their head they're huge and giant and they sit right in the front of their face and they're adorable but you know they are venomous and apparently poisonous and smell terrible and um are i'm pretty sure they're endangered that seems likely, especially right. if the like, pet yeah. trade goes, Just, right, especially yeah. if they fight each other that hard, yeah. you know, and they want that much space to themselves. They want yeah. a territory, like a two square mile territory per l- loris. Eedy little animal. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I assume that this will make for a fairly long episode. So uh, that's uh, all I wanted to say on the topic of venomous animals. Well, before we go, um, I had a piece of homework. Yes. And I want to tell you that it actually turned into a rabbit hole that I went down, and we're not going to go through it. 
<laughs> but um, at the end of our first part of this episode, we talked about how you said that electrotherapy should not be used in snake bites. And I was like, wait, hold up. What? So <laughs> apparently this is a thing. Um, some random doctor and I actually, I have his name. I have it written down. He was a guy who wrote an article in the Lancet journal, no data, no backup (laughs) whatsoever in 1986. That was like, I've used electroshock therapy to, uh, neutralize the effect of venom. Like it's the only place it's ever been written. He had no like studies to back it up. Nothing whatsoever. And people were just like, sounds good. So they started shocking people. Who got oh, no. Like, like they didn't yeah. look into it. He's just like, like no, 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 sounds great. Do it. It's, it was basically like the Wikipedia in like 1986. It's kind of what the internet is doing now, which is people Googling it. And they're like, I did my research. So apparently mm. people have been, quote unquote, doing their research since <laughs> 1986 when they were like, you know, I got bit by a rattlesnake. Let's do some electrotherapy about it. Wow. Um, and, and on the same. So I'm, I found this on the on, uh, Seattle CPR page on snake bites, um, mm-hmm. which is actually really good. And they have a list of other things when I was down this rabbit hole, things you shouldn't do. Um, okay. what, uh, and the two that I thought were worth mentioning on top of uh, not shocking yourself. You should not um, light the wound on fire. Holy. Okay. Like, don't yeah. cauterize it. Well, Doesn't neutralize the venom. Um, and the other thing you shouldn't do is you should not shoot the limb off. The- you should not do that. Um, that actually. In order to keep this a family friendly show, I can't respond to that with the incredulity it deserves. Yeah. Because that's. Um, wild the the like there there's actually a um an article of a soldier who um shot his finger off after being bit by a rattlesnake and he lived but it is not a uh not a recommended course of it action. is not a recommended course of action same as it's not um, the um the gold standard therapeutic it's as not it <laughs> same as uh lighting yourself on fire or lighting the yeah, wound on real. fire doesn't help like neither so don't shock yourself don't light yourself on fire and don't shoot the limb off rules um, for life honestly yeah so those are that that's my contribution to the episode just if you get bitten by a, a snake this is one of the times where uh, you you need to seek out a true medical professional and get help and uh uh-huh. yeah it's it's a yeah uh don't don't do those things so yeah um good advice yeah. good advice right yeah I mean I, I just want to point out like apparently when you google can you use electricity in a snake bite the first thing that comes up is no like apparently <laughs> this is enough of a problem that google like overrides any articles and is like don't do the thing like do not do this wow. like don't do this dr goody aaron he like had he, some bad ideas. Yeah, he worked in like Ecuador and was like, electricity is totally a therapy. Nah, <laughs> like, man. No, man. <laughs> so, you know, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So that was me doing my homework. It's actually really wow. funny. Thank you so much for that. That's yeah. um, excellent information to share. You're welcome. Just in case anyone was like, man, next time I get bit by a snake, I'm going to keep a stun gun. It's not going to help you, my my dude. It's, it does not neutralize, because that's what the guy said. It wasn't just do it. It was, it neutralizes the venom. Uh-huh. Because. Uh-huh. He's not a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you're not a scientist, and I'm pretty sure you knew that was a bad idea. <laughs> nope, but apparently you don't have to be a scientist to publish random articles. 
Yeah. <laughs> like completely not peer reviewed. And I'm wondering about the journal that actually published it, but whatever. I guess when you got to get like readers up, that is an article people would read. I would read that. If I saw that somewhere, I'd be like, pause. I'm going to read well, that. Like just in case I should probably, it's like the real clickbait, you know, it's like, I should probably check this out. Yeah, like 1986, I clicked back too, man. I clicked back <laughs> yeah. too. And the worst thing is people believed it. People believed it. Man. This is proof that just because you have the word doctor in your name, it doesn't mean you're smart. <laughs> For real. Just saying. So yeah, so that that's all I got. That That's my contribution. All right. Yeah. Helpful. Do you want to do a mental health minute? Absolutely. I want to do a mental health minute. Why don't you lead us off? What's your mental health minute? Well, seeing as Ghost has been sitting here and harassing me for the entire second half of the episode, uh, he is wearing his new fancy Walk 50 Miles with Your Dog in March fundraiser bandana for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And so that's a fundraising walk that Katie and I are going to be doing in, as soon as Ghost is finished with his heartworm treatment, which is Yay! next week, a week from today, <laughs> Tuesday. Go, buddy. Yeah, a week from today, Ghost is done with his heartworm treatment, is done with his kennel rest, and fingers crossed, all free of heartworms. Ten so weeks. we're almost there. He's yes, been ten weeks in a box. Poor buddy. Yeah. yeah. Poor buddy. But he's almost there, and it's going to be great. We're so happy. Yeah. So, yes. And then we're going to get to do all kinds of walks. Just, I guess, my mental health minute is a shout-out and awareness notification of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They raise money to support research and survivors and things like that for suicide prevention. And uh, if you're having any mental health crises, remember to call the Suicide Prevention Hotline at its new number, 988. And I don't know, that's important. So Yeah, super important. Absolutely. And we're really excited to do it. We're really excited to participate. Um, we will be taking pictures and posting on our social media account. And I'll yeah. be sharing that to my own personal social media account as well. My mental health minute is, I'm sure everyone knows, we are from Louisiana. Um, New Year's resolutions do not start until after Mardi Gras in Louisiana. Our um, first of the year is not actually New Year's. New Year's happens after Mardi Gras. So Mardi Gras is over and I'm seeing this influx of posts on my social media feed about people who are going to quote unquote get on a diet, get on a lifestyle plan. They're really focused on losing weight. And one of the things that I think is important to realize is when you're making a lifestyle change is making sure it's sustainable and checking in with yourself and making sure it's important for your mental health. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because losing weight is great. If you're doing it for like the right reasons, if you're doing it to get healthier, you know, getting stronger is great if you're doing it for the right reasons and doing it to get healthier, but make sure at the end of the day, you're checking in with yourself and you're doing it for healthy reasons and, uh, not because of societal expectations or not because of, uh, any depression or anxiety you have pushing through. Yes. Really know yourself and be aware of what's healthy for you and the kind of limits that your own brain and body can take with changes like that. I know Katie and I had discussed doing an exercise plan. And as we were discussing like what exactly we wanted our workout schedule and diet limitations and things like that to be, I had to think about, you know, kind of take stock of myself as I was dreading the upcoming start of our workout plan and being like, I don't think that this is going to put me in a good headspace. The last time that I dieted dramatically and exercised furiously, I was not in a good place in my life. And I'm in a much happier place now. Even if I do have some extra pounds with it, I'm I'm a million percent happier now. So I don't want to go back into any bad or uh, unhealthy habits. So that's something that everyone who is trying to, quote, 
better themselves like you said through new year's resolutions or you know you always have these stereotypical goals for yourself of of some of the most popular goals of which are you know losing weight things like that but um decide if that's right for you as long as long as you can maintain a healthy lifestyle that lets you perform all of the activities that you want to be able to do that's what matters yes keep it sustainable keep it healthy um, and so we actually decided we're going to do a much healthier version of that. And I'm pretty excited about it because you shouldn't be dreading your lifestyle change. Yeah. You, this should be something you're excited about, right? Like we're excited to get right. out and walk. Yes. I'm very excited about being able to go on walks and runs with Ghost again. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited like to track my water because I think that's going to be hilarious. Dude, I've been trying Apparently I'm, I'm a lizard. Away. I swear. Gonna, Apparently I'm a lizard. I do not drink nearly enough water. I, I'm going to float away. I swear. It's just <laughs> trying yep. to drink I mean, as much water. If I can't count sparkling water, it's not going to happen. I'm no. It's. I mean, we are count. I'm counting the sparkling water. I think you can count sparkling water. Yeah. If we can, I'm going to do it anyway. It says water on it. See, it says it on the can. It says water. Yep. So yep. I'm counting that. That counts. Water with and, natural essence. I mean, I'm not going as far as being like, I use water to make my coffee, but I am counting my sparkling water. <laughs> That's fair. I was like, I drink a lot of fluids. How about yeah. that? Yeah. Can we count fluids? Because if we count fluids, I'm sad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm for sure. Like half of them are energy drinks, but you know, we're good. <laughs> All of mine's coffee. I'm a new mom. All of mine's coffee. So yeah. Um, but yeah, we're uh, between Erica being locked in a lab all day, dealing uh, with mice and working for NASA and me being at the mercy of an eight month old. Um, we are going to try to get these out a little more consistently, but uh, we are doing the best we can and we are keeping things sustainable. So um, yes. if you do have any recommendations or any requests for podcast episodes, please let us know on our social media account, Southern Science, or yeah. um, email Southern Science Chicks um, at gmail.com. And uh, drop us a line, drop us a messenger. You can hit us on Instagram. You can hit us on Facebook. And we will get back to you as soon as possible. And uh, we hope to see everybody. I'm not going to say next week. I'm going to say next time. That's my new thing now. Like, I'm going to see y'all next time. Yeah, next time's good. Sounds good. Go us. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Do you ever tell the friends we knew that you